Thanks for listening to Worship Local. This is our podcast where we invite you into the long-winded, ever-deepening, sometimes winding conversations of Frontier Church, where we exist for the glory of Jesus and the joy of Des Moines. In today's podcast, we are looking forward to Easter Sunday by explaining the resurrection. Particularly, what we want to do in this conversation is explain some of the major points of the resurrection to help combat some of the major misunderstandings of the resurrection in modern Christianity. So whether you live in Des Moines or elsewhere, we hope this podcast helps you worship local. Dude, I can't believe it's Easter this Sunday, man. That's right around the corner. Yep. It's here. Are the selfs excited? Do you guys get psyched for, for Easter? Yeah, we're trying to plan out our uh, our Easter meal, so we'll see what we're going to do. We don't know yet. Oh, yeah? Any ideas? I mean, we usually do ham, but we also did ham for Christmas. Okay. We also did it at Thanksgiving, so I don't think Tracy's... So we got two hams from church members, so I was like, we're definitely eating all these hams. And so we've got another ham left over, I'm like, I... I want the ham, but Bro, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So we'll see. looks like the weather's going to be pretty nice, so we'll probably go to the park and do some fun stuff with the kids. But. Dude, great day for a baptism. I know. Or more. Or more. Or more. If anybody needs to get baptized in our local church, reach out. Let's make that happen. We'll dunk you, hold you under until you say tithe. <laughs> that's, an old, that's an old Baptist joke. Have you have you seen the videos of the dude choke slamming people into the baptismal? <laughs> yes. Are you going to do that on Sunday? Choke slam Andrew Johnson? Definitely to Andrew. Yeah, <laughs> he, he would appreciate it. Yeah, he would. If anybody would love it, it would be him. <laughs> you seen the one where the kid like jumps off the like edge of the baptistry into the baptistry and like that's a cannonball? No, I haven't seen that. He cannonballs into the baptism. Yeah, cannonballed into okay. the baptism. Just and it comes back up with a just a big old grin on his face, and the pastor you can tell is like. I'm going to hold this kid under longer. I think it was on, this was an old video. I think it was like on America's Funny Home Videos, like forever ago. Really? Yeah. yeah. Whoa. America's Funniest Home Videos. That's not still around, is it? It probably is in some wow. decrepit form. Yeah. America's Funniest iPhone Videos. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is yeah. now. Yeah. yeah. It should theoretically thrive more now because yeah. everyone has a video recorder in their pocket. I guess that's just YouTube, though. Probably, YouTube yeah. is now yeah. America's Funniest Home Videos. That is true, yeah. <laughs> do you guys do Easter eggs? Or uh, not? Yeah, we... I mean, we're... Yeah, we do, but we don't, don't go crazy, go all out. I think a few years ago, we did one with some people, and like I think the pals came over, maybe, and uh, mm-hmm. Donna froze me. I think something... We've, we've done stuff like that before, but Tracy's going to be making... Uh, Tomb cookies with the kids. Tomb cookies. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. So you like you put them. Tell me more. You put them in the. I, I did this growing up, but like you, you put them in the oven. My parents would do it like on Saturday night. So you put them in the oven, and my dad would get out like some you know painters tape and seal the oven shut. Mm. And then on Sunday morning, you wake up and the cookies are you know they're ready for you to eat. Mm. I don't know if it's like slow rise. I don't know how the you'd have. I'd have to ask Tracy the components of what she's using, but. It's just like my parents would do it, like build up anticipation for the tomb being opened, and then you've got the cookie in there. Bro, you need to give a little family homily <laughs> about the cookies descending into hell. <laughs> I definitely will. I definitely will. Yeah. Yeah. Resurrection cookies. That's awesome, dude. Yep. So those that, so we'll we'll do some stuff like that. I'll be, you know, setting up on Sunday morning, so I won't be able to be there with the kids, but Tracy will it's gonna love doing that with the kids, so that'll be fun. So I, I'm good with the grill. I, I do a pretty good job grilling. 
Um, but outside of that, I'm I'm not a I'm not a cook, dude. You know this about me. Like I don't bake. But you're gonna be really proud of me. Two days ago, um, for the first time in my life as a 32 year old man. I made cookies. That's what I'm talking about, dude. Bro, bro, you're never too late. Della, <laughs> uh, Chloe was out running some chores, and I was I was with the kids, and Della was like, I want a cookie. And I was like, I'm sorry, sweetie, we don't have any cookies or anything like that or any cookie dough. And she was like, I want a cookie. And I heard the Holy Spirit just be like, now's the time to figure this out, dude. <laughs> so I made them from scratch, and it went pretty well. They were good. I'm proud of you, man. Yeah. That's good. You get earn some dad points there. <laughs> hey, uh, so I'm excited to I'm excited to do some theology together in this podcast and to unpack some of the more common misconceptions about the resurrection. Um so let's do that in a second. Before we get there though, we haven't rehashed Sunday. What did you have any thoughts on this last Sunday at worship? I thought it was pretty powerful, man. Yeah. It was another you know, another one of those Sundays where it's like, okay, should we keep doing this open mic thing? Are people gonna, you know, mm-hmm. are they gonna share? Is the is the well dry? Um, and you know, leaving that Sunday, leaving another Sunday morning like this, so good. I'm so glad that we we did this. You know, so many people shared again this this past Sunday at both services. Um, so yeah, man, that's been really impactful for me. Like, I don't think I have anything new to say. I think I said everything that I would say again today on the the last recording. But man, it's just been a, for me just a a continual uh, unifying process. Like mm-hmm. I feel I feel like our church is getting. We are one. We are one in Jesus. Even though we're having to do two services right now, we are one in Christ. And so that's just been amazing for me to observe, be a part of. I actually heard that feedback from somebody who visited uh, on Sunday. Oh, really? Exactly that same thing. She said after the service, um, she said, it's just amazing to look around at this church and to see the unity in this church. That's such a rare thing Mm. right now in church bodies. And I was like, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, you're totally right. Yeah. And I I think, you know, it's because, I mean, we've never done it as extended as, uh, well, we've never done just like an open mic, like share, sharing words. We've done... Open right, my yeah. pr- prayer time, and that was amazing. And so I think it wasn't yeah. totally foreign to our church family. And so, um, but you know, it's been great to see people different walks of life and people sharing like these. You know, getting up there and smiling and sharing things. People getting up there and crying and sharing things. Mm-hmm. Like it's just it's painted a picture of you know good uh, human the the the. Um, Human emotion spectrum. We've gotten all of that in these. We've you know people like I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm happy. I'm joyful. I'm sad. I'm weeping. Uh, the Lord encouraged me. The Lord has hu- uh, given me humility. Um, so it's just been really good to see like, um, oh, this is I can be like this, or and I can also be like this. I wish I was more like this person in this mm-hmm. way. I wish I was more like this person in this way. And so it just shows like. You know, you look at all these people's emotions and how they're handling things, and you think about God and how He handles things and how He's created us. And so it's it's been awesome that not everyone's just gotten up there and been downtrodden, and it's been good that not everyone's got up there and just been ch- joyful and chipper. So it's like, oh, right, I can right. experience these things as a human, and it's okay and it's good. It's been a yeah, it's been a really great reminder that God is always doing a million things in every local church, no matter how big or small that church is. There's mm-hmm. a million things that He's doing in every church, and good leadership is really patient in getting the best out of people. Yes, like as a young man, like 
I think every young leader goes through this season, but as a, as a young leader, I always thought that good leadership was about impressing people. It's like, you know, it was, it was you doing your best in front of other people, mm-hmm. but that's not good Christian leadership. Good Christian leadership is not about impressing other people. It's getting the best out of people. It's unearthing what God is doing in other people. And mm-hmm. so it's been a great reminder that good leadership is really patient. Mm-hmm. And some of the best insights I feel like we got out of our church were people who, for the last two weeks, were just kind of sitting on it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I don't really want to share, and I don't really, you know, I don't want to get up behind the microphone. And then being patient, 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 week three rolls around, and then bam, you've got people like Amanda and Chris behind the microphone sharing. And that was really impactful mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. I mean, people getting up there and be like, ah, I should have done this last week, but I didn't want to, and... Mm-hmm. The Lord's just not letting go of me. I've got to share this. <laughs> so it's been, yeah, that's been, yeah, that's, yeah, that's been helpful for me, man. Like just people who the Holy Spirit is after them and won't let, won't leave them alone. Um, and it's like, who knows what, what the Lord, who knows what the Spirit is going to do with that word of encouragement or that sharing of uh, difficulty? Because, yeah, like you just you can't accomplish that in preaching all the time. So it's like, no, yeah. who knows what you know? Somebody in that room struggling with the same thing, feeling like they can't talk about it, and somebody else gets up and shares it. It's like, who knows what, the scope of of what the Holy Spirit is going to do with that word with that time? You just don't know. Like you really, you you really don't. Like it's it's so common for Christians to think. You know, in order to have a profound impact on somebody's life, I've got to be really, really eloquent. Or I've got to give them that moment of brilliant realization that they would have never came to without mm-hmm. my help. And that's just not true. Right. Like, dude, like you know me. Like, as as leaders, you and I have read 400, 600, 800-page books on nuanced theological things, you know? So, like, we, we read the best theology we can get our hands on. We try to read the best, the deepest theology we, we get our hands on. We know the height and depth as well as we can and the extent of God's love for us. Um, but, dude, there have been moments— where a church member or a brother or a sister has come over to me and said, Hey Cole, I, I just feel like the Lord wants you to know that he loves you. Mm-hmm. And I've been like, Oh, I needed <laughs> to hear that. Like yeah. there's a different level of access that you can reach if God is really working through you. Mm-hmm. That, I, I feel like that's been a great reminder. Yeah. I've, it helps. It helps you see the, and experience the presence of God. In, in a different way whenever that person is like, okay, if you truly are in Christ and the Holy Spirit is truly in you, then whenever you are ministering to me, it's the Holy Spirit ministering to me. Mm-hmm. So that's been, yeah, very powerful. Yes. One huge takeaway I hope that all of our church members have from these last couple of weeks is, okay, if I want to encourage somebody, I don't have to sound like Andrew. Mm-hmm. I don't have to sound like Luke. I don't have to sound like Cole. If I want to encourage somebody... I just have to tell them the God-given truth. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yep. Just being a church member, man. Yeah. Like, I don't view myself as other than church member because I'm a paid staff member and on the pastoral team. But like, I, I'm a part of this this church, and so it's amazing to, you know, for the pastor to be pastored by a church member. Like, just in those moments of like, hey, the Lord told me you needed this you know, take heart, have hope. Even if things don't get better in this lifetime, they're, they're going to get better. You know, like some Eric Barnum 
brought me a loaf of bread on Sunday. And, that was dope, you dude. You know, I was talking about the bread in the wilderness. And yeah, you know, I told him, yeah. I was like, dude, I felt like I've been in the wilderness for like the past 18 months and I've done everything that I can to try to find the bread. And, you know, struggling with like, is the bread actually here? Is there going to be any bread coming in this season? So it was just, a, yeah, it was like a good reminder that Jesus is my bread. And um, it's just that he's not on the pastoral team, but he led me and loved me on Sunday morning. And that was mm-hmm. awesome. Wouldn't you love it, dude? Wouldn't you love it if our whole church was just like lit on fire like that? Mm-hmm. Where like it was a regular thing for people to come up like on Sunday mornings to come with like a word of encouragement mm-hmm. for somebody in the church? I think we're we're getting there. Like I, dude, I seeing too. like some people get up and sharing. Like I would not have thought that you would have been a person to do this mm-hmm. a year ago or two years ago. But like you know the the. Things that we've been preaching on, the things, the, the practice, implementing the practices in the life of our church. I, I think, you know, we've been adding, you know, gathering some some sticks to build a fire, but we don't have the fuel. So we don't have, we can't light these things on fire. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And so we're, you know, adding, you know, this wood to this big pile of wood and praying and asking God to rain fire down. And I think we're starting to see that. Dude, I think we are too. I think like we're really on the verge of something big. Yeah, I feel that way. I've I've had a lot of members tell me that recently. Mm-hmm. Everybody has has the feeling that like we're on the edge of something big. We don't know exactly what it mm-hmm. is. We don't know exactly what God is going to do. Maybe we'll find out Sunday. Maybe. Let's talk <laughs> resurrection, let's, dude. Let's do it. So I got a couple points that I want to make about the resurrection. Some of these are based on my own misconceptions as a follower of Jesus that God's corrected over the time. Um, but kind of like you said in the intro, what we want to do is explain some of the major points of the resurrection of Jesus to help combat some of the major misunderstandings of the resurrection in modern Christianity. And to be totally honest with you, part of why I want to do this podcast is because uh, there's a million things I want to say in, in the sermon on Sunday, <laughs> and I need to keep it short for the <laughs> baptism. So I need to get it like out of my system, you know, so I can be like really short and to the point on Sunday. So um, the first point that I want us to kind of hammer out together about the resurrection is that the resurrection is historical. So it is not just a metaphor. It is not just an analogy. It's a real event that was documented Mm -hmm. that took place in a particular place within the time-space continuum and happened to a man whose name was Jesus of Nazareth. This is a big point, man. Yes. Yeah, and that's... It's something that uh, you can say, yeah, I believe that it was like an actual event, but not actually believe that it was an actual event. It's easy to right, stick right. because we're so far removed time-wise for, in human terms from from the event of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that it's, I don't know, man, You maybe it's because we hear it all, all, all the time and we just don't give our whole hearts to it all the time to where it's just like, oh, yeah. You know, he died, he was buried, and then he rose again on the third day. And this one time a year, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, where it becomes this trite thing that we don't truly cherish. Sure. So if we don't treasure it as an actual historical, literal event, um, then we'll treat it like it was just, you know, some mythological event. Yeah, yeah, because it's easy to treat it like it's a mythological event. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, dude, I think probably the... I, sometimes I feel like I'm too harsh on modern Christianity, and then I'm like, no, there's no way you can be too harsh on mm. modern Christianity. <laughs> but I think, the, like, I think the majority of churches that I have heard handle the doctrine of the resurrection has been as an analogy. Like, hey, man, sometimes like life is hard, but look, sometimes things change and turn around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, the, 
<clears throat> you can go on, like there's tons of books written, written on the uh, historical literal event of the resurrection. Um, and there's some good ones and there's some bad ones. But uh, when I think of the historicity of, of the resurrection and how the disciples and the, or the apostles, like they, they witnessed the glorified resurrected Jesus. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, when you look, I'm thinking about first Corinthians 15, um, he, Paul is writing to this church and says, Hey, I, I passed on to you as a, First importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised up on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at once, the majority of whom remain until now. So they could fact check Paul. Like, right. Bro, did you you really encounter Jesus? Did he really really rise again from the dead? And he's like, yeah. I've I saw him. The other apostles saw him, and also there's a bunch of people that are still alive who saw him after he was resurrected. So he's he's saying this would take some really uh, skillful um, manipulation for uh, for me to say for for me to not have not encountered the resurrected, glorified Christ. You can you can check my sources here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 if Paul's lying and they can prove that wrong, there's like a really easy way to stomp out this whole resurrection myth yeah just burn the scroll yeah it's a letter yep just get rid of the letter and instead what we see um is is the opposite of what we would see with a myth so if if it's a myth that's not rooted in the time space continuum then what you want to do is you want to make sure that that letter doesn't circulate mm-hmm. that way you can keep a small amount of people manipulated and keep the wool over their eyes uh-huh. but what we see is the opposite we see this letter circulate and circulate and circulate around to people who who could prove it wrong, Mm -hmm. but instead they don't prove it wrong. And we know that because the letter continues to circulate. Exactly. And if it wasn't true, then why would Paul, who was at the tier one in the Jewish world, like this dude was an all-star in Judaism, why would he leave that position of persecuting people to go down the you know, become the scum of the earth. Mm-hmm. Like if he hadn't really seen the resurrected Jesus and encountered him on his way to murder Christians, like there, there's no uh, social gain. There's no financial gain. There's no clout that he's going to get from becoming a Christian and a follower of Jesus. What is the motivating force for him to do that? He encountered the resurrected Jesus. It poses a huge historical problem, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. The disciples do too. Um, because, Jesus is not the only dude in the ancient world who claimed to be the Messiah and then died. Mm-hmm. But when we do history and we look at these other would-be messiahs, like Judah the Hammer is one that comes to mind. Um, but when we look at these ancient people who claimed to be who claimed to be the Messiah and then died, what we see is that there were two major options for those disciples. So you've got a Messiah. Around that Messiah, you've got a bunch of followers, you've got a bunch of disciples. And when that Messiah dies, there's one of two well-documented options in the ancient world. Option number one is you just give up on waiting for God to provide a Messiah. Man, I follow this dude who claimed to be the Messiah. I saw him do some really cool stuff. I thought he was the one, but then he just died. And so, like, honestly, dude, I'm just like... I'm done waiting on God to bring him a Messiah. If it wasn't that guy, then who's it going to be? That's option number one. Just give up. Um, Option number two, 
was move on. Mm-hmm. Once your candidate for the Messiah dies, you say, okay, well, that wasn't the guy. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go find a new candidate for the Messiah. <laughs> um, so when Jesus was crucified, his followers had two options. Number one, give up. Number two, move on. There's like no other option. Mm-hmm. Like there was nowhere else to run. Um, option one, give up. Option number two, who, who's next? That's like the whole answer bank. Those are the two pathways for followers of Jesus to take and get on with their lives after he was crucified. But the problem with Jesus and what's fascinating about Jesus and the reason why you even know about Jesus is because after Jesus died, there was a third option that they followed. What if we kept following him? Mm-hmm. What? That was unheard of. Like, what if you keep on following a Messiah who died? Right. So what in the world happened? Why was Jesus more successful after his death rather <laughs> than less successful after his death? So if you look at all the other people who claimed to be Messiahs then died, they were really effective in their lifetime, and then they were ineffective. Mm-hmm. Jesus was like, sometimes not that all, all effective when he was alive, and then became massively effective after his death. So what happened? It's like, well, resurrection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, you know, it's a lot of people who criticize uh, Christianity or they criticize like the historicity of the resurrection. They don't, they don't ask those questions like, okay, if I were to be a person who lived alongside Jesus and I, you know, I was waiting for this Messiah to come and it, you see Peter before the resurrection, you see him trying to force that you should see him try to usher in this messianic age by force and Jesus rebukes him for that. And so yep. that the the difference of of Jesus the true messiah and these other messianic figures is Jesus wasn't trying to bring in the messianic age by force. He did the exact opposite of that. And so that, to me mm-hmm. that's another thing that's so interesting is this early church movement they they weren't trying to usher in like the, the millennium by by force quite the opposite. They were meek and lowly and, uh, you know, the scum of the, they were the scum of the earth. So they were practicing the way of Jesus. Okay. If, if our Jesus brought atonement, not by force, if he brought about the cleansing of the temple, not by force, then maybe we should act like him as well. And you see this in pastoral letters of like, Hey, be, be good neighbors. Hey, be mm-hmm. hospitable. Hey, pray for your leaders, even the leaders who persecute you. Um, they were so committed to the, to the Messiah because they, he they believed that he did rise again from from the grave and that he was their Lord. And so they're they're acting as their Lord. Like if he didn't really rise again from the grave and they tried to you know lie about Jesus's re- resurrection, they would probably be trying to make things happen by force. They'd be like, well, absolutely. I dude. look like an idiot now. So yeah. let's let's lie and say this man rose again from the grave. And but for people to understand this and for people to respect us, we've got to implement force. We're going to take on the tactics of those other Messiah figures, and they don't do that. Yeah. To me, that's that's really interesting. To me, hmm. that shows that they believed in the power of Jesus, in the person of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's good, man. Such a big point. The resurrection is historical. Let's move on to our our second point about the resurrection. This is a big one, um, but the second point that I want us to kind of hammer out in conversation is that the resurrection is bodily. Mm -hmm. So in other words, the resurrection isn't just about your disembodied soul going to heaven. It's bodily. Mm -hmm. So let me 
Let me let me read a uh, a quote from one of my favorite theologians on this. This is N.T. Wright. If you're if you're a theology snob, um, I like N.T. Wright's resurrection of the theology or his theology of the resurrection. Don't worry, I don't follow him on gender and justification stuff like that. So it's for those of you who are snobby. Put out your there. daggers away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So here's here's N.T. Wright on the physicality of the resurrection. He says, "Quote." What the Bible asks us to imagine is that in the resurrection, there will be a new mode of physicality, which stands in relationship to our present body as our present body does to a ghost. In other words, it will be as much more real, more firmed up, more bodily. He's saying that in the resurrection, it'll be more bodily than our present body, as our present body is more substantial, more touchable than a disembodied spirit. We sometimes speak of someone who's, this is so cool, he says, we sometimes speak of someone who's been very ill as being a shadow of their former self. But if the Bible is right, a Christian in the present life is a mere shadow of his or her future self. The self that that person will be when the body that God has waiting in his heavenly storeroom is brought out, made to measure, and put on over the present body or over the self that will still exist after bodily death. It's a great quote. So the resurrection body is not going to be less physical. Mm -hmm. He says it's going to be more physical. Yeah, it's humanity. Like the, the, the resurrected saints are going to be more human than Adam and Eve were. And how is that possible? It's because Jesus, who died, who descended to the dead, who resurrected is the first fruit of of the resurrection. And so he's be- become the truer and better human. And then when the when you know Jesus returns and all of the dead saints are resurrected, we get to be partakers in that divine that divine nature. We we are, you know, already made sons of God, but we get to manifest that in the resurrection. And so Thinking about Jesus, not just, you know, he didn't just take on the appearance of death and ta- and then, you know, was revived, but he literally died and literally was resurrected mm-hmm. and and is the first fruit of new humanity. I feel like this is one of the things that Christians are most ashamed of in the modern world of Christian theology is the bodily resurrection. Mm-hmm. You know, because like if, if after death, all there is is disembodied souls in heaven— no scientist can like disprove that because mm-hmm. like, we don't we don't know yeah. it's it's not measurable. Um, but the problem with the physical resurrection is that we have a lot of evidence that when bodies cease to live, it doesn't seem like they ever come back to life. Yeah, and so there, I think Christians are, I think they blush about the physical resurrection, um, but it's in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's it's in the Apostles' Creed, like our pledge of allegiance as Christians. Like the line in the Apostles' Creed is that we believe in the bodily resurrection. What's the exact line? How am I? I can't believe I'm forgetting about it. the resurrection of the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like it. It is weird to think about a bodily resurrection. Mm-hmm. It, it is strange, but there are a lot of other strange beliefs out there. Right? You've got people who believe that you die, and based how on how good you are in life, you might come back as a fly or you may come back as, you know, a calf or you may come back as a little Tweety bird. <laughs> like there should be, I, I am, I'm not ashamed of believing in the bodily resurrection of Jesus and that I too, whenever I die and whenever Jesus returns to usher a new creation, my body and my soul are going to be brought back together and I get to live 
in the new creation with a new and glorified body. And I, I think as it's really easy for us just to see and hear people online or, you know, prominent atheists who just, you know, try to dunk on Christians all the time and be like, ah, man, I guess everybody else thinks about me that way because I'm this Christian. And so, yeah, I've got to, I got to blush whenever I'm like, "I, I, I actually believe in a bodily resurrection. Like there's, you, you should feel no shame in that. I remember when I was going through a crisis of faith in, um, my junior high school year of, of, uh, high school, um, my junior and senior year of high school. And I'm like, man, this stuff is weird. Like, do I actually believe this? And I went and yeah, toured, yeah. um, a Muslim cultural center and learned from their re- religious leader, went to a Buddhist temple and they gave us the, you know, the, the whole, the lowdown on Buddhism, went to a Hindu temple. They gave, you know, a, gave, gave us all the information on, on Hinduism. And I'm like, you know what? I, religion is is a strange thing like if you just are, are to look at it in human terms but i don't have to be ashamed of what i believe and i really do believe in jesus i really do believe that he, he was resurrected and you could touch him you could eat with him mm-hmm. you could hear him talk you could look at the way that he walked um and I, yeah i think as modern christians we because of all the craziness of the world right now people are getting in in tuned with the, the supernatural or the, the spiritual stuff. Um, like my neighbor just hung up Tibetan prayer flags. I don't even know what that is, but he hung it up. <laughs> what? I have no idea what it is. Like, I guess they have these prayers on them. And when the wind goes through it, it's like, I okay. Know, yeah, we yeah. got to do some research, but, uh, he was concerned that that was going to make us feel uncomfortable. Uh, I don't know why, but anyway, yeah. yeah. Anyway, Pastor saying, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> Reverend. Uh, I'm just like, man, we have no reason to be ashamed of our spirituality. We have no reason to be ashamed of believing that Jesus and his body were resurrected and that we too get to partake in that whenever we are resurrected. Yeah. I I like that you brought up how the resurrection is different than reincarnation. Um, I think there there are, are two contrasting views that are not the resurrection that are gaining more and more popularity in culture um, that people confuse as the resurrection. One of those is reincarnation. Cause I've got, I've got Buddhist, not Buddhist, but like Buddhist friends who like, because it's kind of trendy in new age right now. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, I do. I'm a Buddhist. They're really not, but that's, you know, that's a different conversation, but <laughs> they're like, yeah, we can't believe the same thing. Like Jesus was basically reincarnated. He wasn't. No. <laughs> And we know that because Jesus was not in one body and then in a second different type of body when Mm -hmm. he was resurrected. And we know that because that's the whole point of the tomb being empty. Mm -hmm. Like if Jesus was reincarnated, then the dead body of Jesus of Nazareth would still be in the tomb and Jesus would be a unicorn or something like that. So it is not reincarnation and it's not resuscitation either. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people think of that, like, oh, it's kind of like you just resuscitated. No, like the, the Bible writers go through plain lengths to show that Jesus was dead and he was dead for a couple days. Mm-hmm. 
And plus, dude, like Roman soldiers, they like they were killing machines. Like, yeah. they were awesome at killing people. Their whole job was to make sure that that dude on the crucifix, like on the crucifix, was dead. Mm-hmm. Like, they knew exactly what they were doing to kill somebody. So they would have made sure that Jesus's body wouldn't just be resuscitated after blacking out yeah. for a couple days. <laughs> I heard the special forces medic. Uh, he was on a podcast I was listening to, and he was like trying to explain how it would have been not unconscionable for. Uh, Jesus to have been dead, but resuscitated. Like he was trying to explain, like, yeah, when I mean, they took him off the cross, you know, he was asphyxiated on the cross. And so whenever they took him down and blah, 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 blah. And then when he got stabbed in there, then his disciples, you know, how these, they wrapped him up on these linens and they put all these uh, herbs and, and things on him. And this, this like they resuscitated <laughs> him. Like, that is the, that is crazy, man. So stupid. And the problem with that is that a couple of days later, after the resurrection, Jesus is walking with two disciples to, Emmaus, yep. seven miles away, dude. Um, like if he was just resuscitated, like there's no way he'd be able to walk seven miles after yep. a crucifixion. Like yep. he was resurrected, dude. Yeah. And he had to like dis- disguise himself so that people wouldn't recognize him for certain periods of time and certain encounters. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, wait, whenever Jesus opens their eyes, they're like, oh, that's Jesus. It, it's not like he was, you know, uh, came back with a different haircut. Like, right, you know, and right. so it's just, and we, and we know that, I mean, what, when Jesus resurrects someone from the dead, it's, it's signaling what's going to happen in the new resurrection or in the mm-hmm. resurrection, but those people still died. Right. And their bodies are still on the ground. Uh, but one day in, in the resurrection, whenever he's healing Lazarus, when he's raising Lazarus from the dead, he's saying, this is what I'm going to do. Not just for a temporary time, but I'm going to resurrect you at the end of this human age. Um, and so it wasn't like Jesus was resurrected, like he had resurrected other people and then died. Like no, Jesus was resurrected and he's still living and alive today. Um, unlike, you know, people who were resurrected and then died again, you know? Um, and he wasn't just like relocated either. Like you've got, yeah, you, yeah, that's right. You've got Enoch and, uh, gosh, Elijah or Elisha, Elisha, Elijah. Yeah. Yeah. Those two dudes, they didn't die. So that's not resurrection either. They were just taken up by the Lord. Um, So the event of Jesus' resurrection is unique in human history. But it's not going to stay unique in the the new new creation. You know, one one theologian that I read does actually draw that point where um, when you look about what the Old Testament teaches about resurrection, Jesus' teachings and his experience of resurrection is completely and totally in line with all of the Old Testament, besides one thing. There's one thing that Jesus changes about the resurrection. Well, it doesn't change, but um, there's one thing that Jesus adds that's unique in the New Testament about the resurrection, and that's the fact that one man precedes the resurrection of the cosmos. Mm -hmm. In the Old Testament, all of the resurrection you see is like the whole, you know, everybody's resurrected. It it Mm -hmm. points towards the new resurrection still in the future. But nobody thought that one dude was going to get resurrected before everybody else. And that's what Jesus does. Yep. Yeah. First fruit. The first fruit of it, they were dead in Adam, but alive in Christ. So just as sin entered the world through one man, now life is going to enter the world through one man. Um, And then that, you know, that, that life is eternal. It's not it's not something that has a time stamp on it. And so what what do you have to do to experience eternal life? And I'm not just talking theologically speaking, but 
Um, well, I am, but I'm not just talking about like salvation. I'm talking about resurrection and glorification. Like mm-hmm. that eternal life is going to be experienced with a, with a reunited body and soul mm-hmm. that is alive and present with Christ and new creation. Yeah. And there's a lot of questions about like, what's that going to be like? And we don't really know. No. Um, the text does give us some hints, but what we have to work with our whole sample size of resurrection is uh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> that's our, like we yep. like we can look at Jesus in the resurrection and be like, well, that's our whole sample size that we have to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do like the phrase that I quoted earlier from N.T. Wright, where he talks about how resurrection is quote a new mode of physicality, mm-hmm. because when we see the resurrected body of Jesus. Um, it, it's like his old one. Like, he can eat fish, and it appears as though his body digests it. Um, the disciples want to touch him, and they can touch him. They mm-hmm. put their finger on matter and molecules. Um, and yet, it's a new mode of physicality um, because this new resurrected body that Jesus has can also walk through walls. Mm-hmm. So it's not <laughs> less than a regular body, but it is more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I think when people are looking at the, you know, a glorified body, it, we want to focus on the walking through walls part mm-hmm. and not that more human aspect of like, no, right. this dude is sitting down with people eating fish. Yeah. Like that, because it's like, well, you know, that's not as sensational as walking through walls. I remember being a kid and be like, oh, right, right. maybe I'll get to walk through walls one day. That would yeah. be so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> but now, like where I'm at, I'm like, it's amazing that he sits down with his disciples and he eats a meal with them. Right. Like that, that, I don't know why that is more amazing to me now, but it's just, I, I think it's, it's just because of my theology of the resurrection uh, being more robust now to like, sure. He's, he's fully and totally human and more human than I am right now, right? That's just, that's mind-blowing to me, man. Mm-hmm. Here's the third point. Um, so the resurrection is bodily. That's so important. The third point is that the resurrection is cosmic. Here's another quote from my bro, N.T. Wright. He says, In Romans 8, we find an image deeply embedded of resurrection that's within the created order itself. This passage in Romans 8 has routinely been marginalized for centuries by exegetes and theologians who have tried to turn Romans into a book simply about how individual sinners get individually saved. But it is, in fact, one of the great climaxes of the letter, and indeed of all Paul's thought. And in this passage of Romans 8, Paul uses the imagery of the exodus from Egypt, but this time in relationship not just to ourselves, but to creation as a whole. Mm-hmm. So in verse 20, in verse 21, Paul says that creation is in slavery at this moment, and God's going to lead all of creation out of that slavery. That's freaking amazing, bro. Yeah. And that's one that I didn't grow up thinking about because, you know, was, Christianity is uh, me and Jesus, right? So it's this high, high focus on you and your, uh, salvation you and your being freed from slavery to sin and that's like you have to think about that totally but you know that's that's very uh 21st century american christian view american protestant christian view of of salvation and glorification and resurrection it's just about you and jesus but when we see the whole of creation 
is made new and released from its slavery, dude. Mm-hmm. That is dog. Dude, like it, it heightens the whole, and it also heightens the individual for me. Like if I, I'm viewing myself as a part of the cosmos, like that God. He cares so much about things being made new that he makes me new, but is also making creation new at the same time. Yeah. He's able to yeah. be microscopic and he's also being he's also able to look at things on the macro level and plays with all of these things and puts them together and makes them new. Like he cares for that little tiny blade of grass That's and right, he dude. cares for the mountain. Like that. Right? And I, I think Paul Paul obviously loves Isaiah. And I think Paul is drawing from um, Isaiah's prophecy of the new creation, which in Isaiah 55, I love this. He says, In that day you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Mm -hmm. So when Isaiah gets a sneak peek into the new creation where all of the cosmos are resurrected. It matters to him that the mountains and hills are still there, but they're singing. Yes. They're no longer in slavery. They're not groaning. Right? The tre- Yeah, the trees are clapping, dude. Mm. They're no longer enslaved to Pharaoh and sin and curse. They're freed and resurrected. It's amazing. Oh, dude. A lot of Christians blush at this, though, too. Yeah. Because... If God doesn't just care about individual souls, but also cares about creation, um, that means we should love and care for creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we've hammered that a while back on a podcast. But, but yeah, I mean, and, yeah, yeah. And just thinking about God is not just like, hey, I'm going to make you guys new, but you still have to live in this world that's broken. You still have to live in this place where you know creation is waging war against you. It's like, no, I'm making everything new. I'm releasing everything from its bondage to, to a fractured world. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's, you know, he makes us new and then also gives us this new home to live in. Like, yeah, dude. That's, that's so amazing. Like, you know, when you read in Revelation and it's describing new creation and this, you know, garden city, it's like he's, he's prepared. And then Jesus tells us, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you to live and rule and reign with me for eternity. It's just so amazing to think about him, you know, meticulously creating and crafting with the Father and with the Spirit, what new creation and the things that await us in our heavenly home. Like, man, that is just, that stirs up my soul and causes me to worship. When I, you know, look at these trees and, you know, seeing them, like when the derecho hit, seeing all these trees that mm, just get mm-hmm. destroyed by, you know, this, you know, giant wall of wind. Um, yeah, it looks like Judah after yeah. the Babylonians Bro. cut down fields of the... Chaldean wind army. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, losing these giant yeah, trees yeah. in my backyard, but thinking about the tree that's going to be, that heals the nations in new creation. Like, right. Man, yeah. that... Uh, We'll be able to experience creation in the way that God has always intended us to experience creation. And if he can do it for our bodies, why couldn't he do it for the cosmos? Yeah. You know? Like one point I I brought up in last year's Easter sermon was something that one scholar drew my attention to. And that's just to the simple fact that our bodies at a molecular level are always in a state of change and flux. Mm -hmm. So it's not just that we like cut our hair and then it grows back or we... 
or we um, shave our beard and it grows, or we bite our nails and they grow back. But at a molecular level, we're constantly changing. So Mm -hmm. scientists have brought up the fact that every seven years at a molecular level, you're composed of entirely different molecules and atoms than you were seven years ago. And yet you're still you. Mm -hmm. You're like the same form, same shape, even though coal in seven years will have none of the molecules that coal right now has. Mm So your atoms are constantly changing, but somehow you remain in the same shape. So it's just not that surprising that after death, God will be able to gather up all of your molecules and make them new and give you a resurrected body. Mm-hmm. And it's not that surprising that if he can do that at an individual level, why wouldn't he be able to do that with the, the mountains and the hills and, yeah. and the ocean and the stars and, and the rest of creation? He totally can. Yeah, man. I can, he, created, he created the world, so he obviously cares about it. So um, why should we neglect the fact that he's going to release everything from slavery? Release right. everything from, you know, I'm looking at the Lexham English uh, Bible for uh, verse 21 of Romans 8, that the creation itself will also be set free from its servility to decay into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Like, dad, mm. it's not going to decay anymore. It's going to be set free from this servitude to to decaying and molding and melting away like he cares about that stuff too can you imagine the worship that's going to happen dude like okay imagine lazarus getting resurrected from the tomb everybody would be like oh my god dude that was so dope <laughs> yeah. now imagine all of the cosmos coming out of the tomb yeah. <gasps> buddy oh my gosh it's gonna dude. be a party man for sure Here's a fourth point. We've already touched on this a little bit, but maybe we can kind of chip away at it a little bit more. The resurrection is in the Old Testament. So it's not just a New Testament, newfangled idea that some Christians came up with to make themselves different than Judaism. Mm -hmm. But the resurrection is in the Old Testament. Is that surprising to you? Did you have a moment where that was surprising to you? I don't know if I... I don't know if like a particular moment, it was one of those things I was kind of talking earlier about, you know, like why biblical theology is so helpful um, is you get all these puzzle pieces as, as you were following Jesus and reading the scriptures and you're like, okay, that, that was an event over here. And I'm going to put that on the left side of the table. And then, oh, I'm reading this in the new Testament and I'm going to put that on the right side of the table. Like as you grow in your maturity and your literacy of the Bible, you're like, oh man, these things all fit together. Like this is a, this is a puzzle. Like in this one little piece here, if we pull that out, we don't have like the puzzle isn't finished. It's not complete. It's not whole. So yeah, seeing how Mm. um, in prophetic writing, like this resurrection language, this longing for uh, release from, from death, um, and seeing how, okay, this is all building up and it's pointing to, it's imaging towards, it's telegraphing about the resurrection of Jesus and Mm -hmm. the resurrection of, of creation and of those who are in Christ. Um, so yeah, it wasn't like, oh, the lights are on, but it was more so, okay, I've been reading all these things. And then now like, this is, it's not, it's not something new. It's just like the same thing that, you know, thinking about, uh, the, the coming of Christ, the incarnation of Christ, like it wasn't something that was, uh, that freaked people out. Like they were waiting for it. They were movements trying to force the Messiah to come. Right. Right. And then you have, you know, scenes of 
pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament, the angel of Yahweh. So, mm-hmm. so it wasn't like... Spoiler God, alert, that's Jesus, everybody. <laughs> it, you know, it wasn't like, oh, God's really changing up the playbook. It's like, no, he, this is how he's been operating. So whenever Christians are told, hey, um, the resurrection of Jesus was literal, it was bodily, um, it wasn't like, oh, well, I guess God's doing that thing now. They were waiting for this to happen. They were, they were, you know, sharing this language, and it's like, hey, uh, we we heard about, you know, this. We read about resurrection, and you know, in in the Torah or in the in the Old Testament, and so it wasn't like it was. Oh, this is a new thing. This is cool. We get to do this resurrection thing now. It's like, oh, we've been waiting for this, man. What's What's interesting is that there was a small branch of Judaism that ended up rejecting and denying the resurrection. Yep. But not for textual reasons. Mm-hmm. So the Sadducees. Like, have you ever read about why the Sadducees rejected the resurrection? Like, have you ever read any theories on that? A little bit, but I don't think I could formulate any thoughts on it. So this is, I, I'm going to quote N.T. Wright again. <laughs> He's, he wrote my favorite book on the resurrection, uh, Surprised by Hope. So I'm like just quoting out of this all podcast long. But this is super interesting to me. So um, he says, The Sadducees were the powerful elite in Jesus' world. They were held in place by Rome, and they enjoyed wealth, status, and prestige within Judean society. So their denial of the resurrection and of any future life was argued, it seems, on the basis of their belief that the doctrine was a newfangled thing invented by later prophets like Daniel. You couldn't find it, they claimed, in the five books of Moses. But... Within the first century world of Jesus, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the doctrine of resurrection was a revolutionary doctrine. It spoke of God's determination to bring about the new exodus, the real return from exile. And so the real reason the Sadducees opposed it, behind the smoke screens of theological argument and silly stories about women with seven husbands, the real reason the Sadducees opposed it was that they knew that the resurrection doctrine was a threat to their own wealthy position. Mm -hmm. They knew it meant that God was turning the world upside down. Isn't that interesting? Man, those guys were turds. Right? That's why they were sad. That's what you see. So, <laughs> so they rejected the resurrection because they loved the world as it was. Mm-hmm. You know, they liked their wealth and their status. And if God is bringing about a new creation, that's a threat to their current <laughs> status. I just thought that was so interesting. That is, dude. yeah, that is very interesting. You know, yeah. I mean, you think about uh, Joseph and why was that? Why did that homie want his bones taken out of Egypt? Like whenever his people left. Oh yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, was it just some cosmic geography stuff, or was like this hope of, you know, I want to be in the promised land? I don't. Just I've thought about that in terms of resurrection. I don't know if that's uh, theologically airtight, but that's just interesting for me. Is signaling like that this place where I'm at in Egypt, like this is not where I belong. I belong in the promised land, and the promised land is a you know it's it's a reimagining of Eden. And so new creation, the resurrection, is a, is a restoration and a, a glorification of Eden, like for the whole of creation. It is Eden. So for like us as Christians, when we, you know, when we come to the end of our life and we're buried, our bones are, they're still in, they're in, they're in Egypt, but our bones are going to, we're going to, our bones and our skin, it's all going to be 
mm. married back with our with our souls mm-hmm. in the truer and better Eden and the truer and better promised land. Like we'll be freed from Egypt. That's a great example. And like one of the key things to understanding the resurrection in the Old Testament is that um, it's not just taught in the Old Testament through clear statements. Even though like you've got Daniel 12, right? Daniel 12 says, quote, those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. It's like, oh, well, there you go. That's that's pretty clear. Um, But it's also taught typologically through a lot of the narratives and the stories. Mm -hmm. I like the example of the bones. Um, What's like another Old Testament story that as a type points forward to the narrative of the resurrection? Oh, there's several. I mean, Jonah is a powerful one. Yeah, dude. Talk like, a little more about that. Yeah, I mean, so you think about Jonah, you know, and his he's rebelling against the call that God has placed on him, and God will not leave the dude alone, but he, you know, is on this ship, and a storm is coming, and, you know, the sailors are, you know, praying to their gods, and Jonah's asleep, and they're coming get him, and Jonah's, and Jonah's like, just throw me over, like, this will all, you guys will all be all right, just throw me over, mm-hmm. hand me over to death. Mm-hmm. So he gets chunked in the water, and then this big fish swallows him up. So that's symbolic of of him descending into the place of death. Mm-hmm. It's like I mean, I could we could both go off on this because it's the, yeah, yeah. the book of Jonah is so amazing. It's but, amazing. Yeah. But he gets swallowed up. So you know, you see, you see a lot of language in the Old Testament about being swallowed up by Sheol. And so like the fish is symbolic of the place of the dead. So Jonah's down there in the place of the dead. Finally gets to a point wherever he, you know, he prays this prayer, um, is in there for three days and then gets vomited up by this fish. So that's symbolic. It's typological of mm-hmm. the resurrection. And we know that because Jesus himself <laughs> talks about him being the better and truer Jonah. Like he uses Jonah to say, Hey, you know that Jonah story? Yeah, he was in the in the fish for three days, but then he got chunked back up by that thing. I'm going to be, I'm going to be dead for three days and I'm going to re- be resurrected. Mm. Um, so like, yeah, that, that typology, that imagery, like people know what's going on. Like they're, they're totally. able to, yeah. they know whenever you, your body gets put in the ground, you you go to the place of the dead, you descend to shale. Um, and you know, you're, you might be in the righteous compartment of it. You might not be in the, you might be in the unrighteous compartment of it, but everyone's going to get released from that at some point in time. Um, so yeah, it wasn't a foreign thought. A lot of people, I mean, a lot of, uh, Jews today believe that they believe that it's just, you just die. There's no afterlife. Um, I can go off on that too, but it's very interesting. Um, because it's not a foreign concept because people didn't just yet. Yeah, like we, I like what you said. It's not like clear statements. That's not how uh, an ancient near Eastern person would have thought all the time. They were super creative. Yeah. They're intelligent, thinking, yeah. bright people. They're thinking in the terms of stories. They're thinking mm-hmm. in terms of imagery. They're thinking in terms of the heavens. Like they, they weren't just looking for a neat, tidy little systematic theology to hand out to people. Right. But they're, they're telling these stories because they were, you know, primarily an oral culture for a, a long time, so yeah. they're trying to communicate these truths through stories, right? Because you, so if if you're primarily an oral culture, then you need your facts, you need your truth embedded within stories that can just inhabit and take over your mind, mm-hmm. and that's what stories do. Yeah. It, it makes your brain fire on every level, and it sticks those facts uh-huh. and those truths into really, really, really dark crevices in your brain. Yeah. Man, 
that look at the parables of Jesus. Like, and he told these parables to obscure truth from from the religious stiff neck people. But mm-hmm. then he's also mm-hmm. like, if you look at a lot of his parables, he's retelling prophetic literature and stories. He's even he'll even import some of the same language from from the prophets in the Old Testament. But he's storying these things to communicate like. This is who I am. This is what God is doing, and this is what I'm going to do. Um, yeah, it's really powerful. So it's easy to be like, well, yeah, we can't find some, we can't find a confession of faith about that includes the resurrection in the Old Testament, so it must not be true. That's just that's a very uh, short-sighted uh, perspective. Yeah, it's, it is. It is. And Jonah's a great example. Moses is another great example. Mm-hmm. So with Moses, you have this you have this redeemer figure who's born into pov- poverty born into low status, born into slavery in Egypt. And then what happens to Moses? He's placed in this little basket and he's pushed into the river, which of course is symbolic of passing into death in ancient Near Eastern culture. That's what the, you know, that's what the rivers symbolize and the deep water symbolize. So you have this baby born into poverty, passes through the waters. And then what happens to Moses? He ends up being exalted into royalty in Egypt after the river. Mm -hmm. So as a typological narrative, you have somebody born into lowness who passes through the rivers and then is exalted. That's the resurrection Mm -hmm. narrative. That's what Jesus is born into poverty and lowness and passes through the river of death and then is exalted to royalty at the right hand Mm -hmm. of God. And then that's going to happen not just to Moses, but that foreshadows all of Israel's journey. Yep. They're all born into slavery in Egypt, and then obviously Moses leads them through the Red Sea and eventually into the Promised Land, Mm -hmm. which is a resurrection type. Yep. I mean... Like about Joseph, think about Noah. Like Noah, the God tells him, "Hey, I'm gonna gonna wipe this. I'm gonna make a this place new. Uh, but in order to do that, there's gonna be death and destruction. But I'm gonna spare you from this." So he is in the he's in the ark, and he is hidden. So it's, you can view this as he's in the the place of he's in the realm of of dead. Like you could think about it conceptually in that term. And then the waters recede, and then they come out of the ark. And mm-hmm. he waits for there to be evidence of this new creation. So you can think of it conceptually and in terms of resurrection in that way as well. Yeah, yeah. There's creation, but then there's death. And then there's resurrection and new life, new creation that takes place. Yeah. Joseph in the pit. Mm-hmm. In Genesis, Joseph is sold out by his brothers into slavery, exactly what happens to Jesus, mm-hmm. sold out by one of his disciples and into death. And then and then Joseph descends into the pit. And after he gets out of the pit, he's exalted into royalty. Mm-hmm. That's exactly the resurrection narrative. Jesus is sold out. He descends into the pit. And afterwards, he's exalted into royalty at the right hand of God. You have all these stories that are going, hey, 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 there's going to be this resurrection thing that uh-huh. happens in the future, and it's going to be epic. <clears throat> Yeah, and I'm, you know, I want to. I wish I could, you know, if there's like a, God has like a big, you know, game film reel and new creation. Like I want to sit down and I want to watch the the tape of, of uh, when Jesus is teaching the the dudes on the road to Emmaus, like about all of Scripture mm. in light of Him. Like I want to know what. Is he talking about Noah? Is he talking about Joseph? Is he talking about Jonah? Mm-hmm. Is he talking about how Israel? He's like, hey, all of this, all of these things, all of these events, all of these people. This was pointing to me. Like, I just want to, I want to know uh, what Jesus said to those guys. 
Yeah, it'd like, be so interesting, dude. Because I'd be like, oh, I totally missed that part. <laughs> like, I, I didn't know that was what <laughs> this was about. Like, I just I wouldn't yeah, know, man. Yeah. I might preach on that on Sunday. The the Road to Emmaus. Yeah, it's such a good one, man. It is. It is. The Ark of the Covenant being captured by the Philistines. So you have the, the glory of God um, in the Ark of the Covenant, and the enemies, the Philistines, capture it. And they put it in their temple right next to their god, Dagon. And then like the next day, what goes down? They find, they find their statue of their god, Dagon, had been tossed down, shattered, decimated, crushed by the Ark of the Covenant. And so the Ark of the Covenant makes this triumphant return back to the people of God. You've got that's a type of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. You've got Jesus, who is the glory of God, who descends into hell, overthrows the powers and principalities exactly like the Ark of the Covenant overthrows Dagon, and then triumphantly returns to his people. Mm-hmm. Isn't that awesome, dude? Yeah. <sighs> dude? If this stuff doesn't get you excited about reading the Bible, wake up. Wake up. You're not you're not actually reading it. For real. I mean. This makes me want to just read the Bible for the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Cancel all your plans. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, pastoral team. No meeting today. No meeting. Um, last point I want to make is that the resurrection is revolutionary. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot that we could say about how the resurrection is revolutionary and was revolutionary in in the ancient world. Um, but let me... Let me say one thing. The reason why Christians were crucified in the ancient world wasn't because they loved their neighbors so well or because they were such good people or they believed that God loved people. One of the reasons why they were crucified in the ancient world and, and persecuted so with so much hostility was because they believed in the resurrection. Like the resurrection was revolutionary and for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. What was like from your study? What's like the, one of the biggest reasons for you that like stands out? One of the biggest reasons that stands out was that um, about thirty years before Jesus was born, one of the Roman emperors was going through a really really difficult time with his leadership in the in the Roman world, and so because he had such little trust within the ancient Roman world, he actually he actually told this myth. He, he claimed that when his father, um, and he's the successor of his father, I should know this emperor's name, I can't remember it, but he claimed that when his father died, his father ascended to the right hand of God. And that was his way of saying that his dad had a semi-divine nature, which was his way as a Roman emperor of saying that he had a semi-divine nature. So if Jesus was resurrected and descended to the right hand of God, that was revolutionary because it was claiming that the Roman emperor was not God and that Jesus was king. And so you can see why this would infuriate the Roman empire at the time that, that, that these little Christians were running around claiming that Jesus was resurrected from the dead because it meant that true authority wasn't bound within the Roman empire, but within God. Mm-hmm. And so it was revolutionary. It, it was infuriating to the ancient Roman world, the resurrection was. So that's one big reason. Are there any that come to mind for you? Um, well, was that Augustus? Was he the one who... Yes, okay, yeah. Caesar Augustus. Yeah. He declared. He said that he was a son of God, and then whenever he died, they declared him God. Anyway. Bing, yeah, bingo, that's right, that's right. Looking that up. Um, 
Yeah. I, <clears throat> yeah. I don't know. I think that's the most powerful one for me. Just thinking of it in terms of, okay, this is a, this is a political threat. Cause if this guy, if he, you know, claimed to be the son of God and then he resurrected, then these people aren't going to, they're not going to follow us. They're not going to worship our God. They're not going to go along with the game plan that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're, they're following this dude who defeated death himself and they believe that he's coming back again like that. Yeah. That's uh that's going to freak some people out and they're going to do whatever they can to stomp out that movement. Um, but what's interesting is that they're the, those Christians in Rome in the Roman empire were so committed to the resurrection and return of Jesus that they were, they, you know, they were killing these Christians, but more Christians were being made. More Christians were being, you know, the, the, the multiplication of the church in the in this persecution. They're like, man, we are so committed to this. We believe this so much. We've given our allegiance to Jesus so deeply that we will follow him into death as well, because we know mm-hmm. that just as mm-hmm. he, he was resurrected, we too will be resurrected. Like, that's something that you, man, you, you can't control people who believe that. And so yeah, I think that, yeah, that's that, really true. That has implications for us. I, th- I think in the way in that it was revolutionary in that time, it's also revolutionary for us as well. Um, there are brothers and sisters all over the world who are being persecuted, but they're able to to joyfully go into death because they know that that that, that government doesn't have the final say. And so for us Christians who are in the West, who we're not getting our heads chopped off right now uh, for following Jesus, we can. Whenever we do encounter persecution, and if the government starts putting its boot on our neck um, in subsequent generations, we can say we believe in the resur- the bodily resurrection because Jesus bod- was he was bodily he was resurrected bodily, and we know that that will happen uh, to us. So we can we can descend into death just like Jesus did, and, and we can be resurrected. Um, I mean, this quote. And so this is like, for me, uh, was really helpful um, thinking about Jesus and how, how Jesus' descent into death and his resurrection was, was revolutionary. This comes from a book called uh, He Descended to the Dead. Um, but the, the author says, and yet... You read this two years ago? A year ago, maybe? A year ago, yeah. A year ago, yep. okay. Uh, it says, and yet we, in Christ, we see the first fruits not only of the resurrection, but also of the intermediate state. Jesus experiences death vicariously for humanity, not only in his descent, but also in his simply being dead. His body lying in the grave is redemptive, not only because it evokes Day of Atonement imagery, seen especially in John's echoes of the Holy of Holies and his description of Jesus' tomb, but also by it he redeems the state of death for all those who, you know, who are, for all of those who united who are united to him. Death for Jesus is not the final word, and thus it is not the final wor- word for those united to him. Like th- that's really powerful um, mm-hmm. to to think about of how Jesus, even in his death, he was working, um, and then in his resurrection, he's working, and so we can be a revolutionary people who believe that death doesn't have the final say on us. It doesn't. No, mm-hmm. no one determines our final state. No one determines our eternity except for Jesus. And so we can be people who face persecution, who face suffering, who face discomfort, because we know that we will be resurrected and, and be with Christ. Yeah, yeah, man. And, um, and I do think that's, I think you hit the nail on the head there. That is what makes the resurrection so revolutionary. And it's also what makes people who believe in the resurrection such hard workers for the good of this world. 
because they know that what they do in this lifetime is if it's if it's for the kingdom of God will pass through death and into the new kingdom. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the ancient world where Christianity took root, it was a world basically of Roman totalitarianism and death is the totalitarian's best weapon. Mm-hmm. It is how they shut people up and make them comply. But if you believe in the resurrection, you have effectively just snatched away the totalitarian's most effective mm-hmm. weapon. I'll kill you if you keep doing that. You can't, bro. You can't. And so that's what got the Christians into so much trouble, yeah. man. Oh, dude, this is thing of typologically again about Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. Oh, yeah, great examples. So tying in that totalitarian government rule of like, no, you got to worship us. You got to worship our God. You don't. You don't worship this Jesus guy. I don't care if you believe that he's resurrected. You don't worship him. You worship us. But they are able to say. We believe in this Jesus guy. We believe that he died and that he resurrected. He's coming back again. So we're going to care for one another. So we're going to we're going to minister to those who are sick. And while you guys do nothing, we're going to enter into these places and we're going to take care of people. Um, we're going to be a peaceful people because mm. of of Jesus. Hmm. There's this uh, there's this scene. Oscar Wilde wrote a play about the resurrection. And there's this scene where Herod finds out about the resurrection of Jesus. And Herod says, this is great. He says, I do not wish him to do that. I forbid him to do that. I allow no man to raise the dead. This man must be found and told that I forbid him to raise the dead. (laughs) (laughs) Herod is threatened by the resurrection. Mm -hmm. He's not threatened by a worldview where people just die and go to heaven. As great as that is. He's threatened by a world where heaven comes back to earth Mm -hmm. and new creations threaten all of his tyranny. Yeah. He has no authority there. That's right. (sighs) Excited for Easter, bro. Yeah, man. Excited for Easter. Our kids have been saying, Easter's coming, because we've got this little kid's book that's called Easter is Coming. (laughs) And every page is like a cliffhanger where they say, but... Easter is coming. So that like has really gotten into their hearts and minds. That's awesome. And it's probably because we do an Easter egg hunt with candy and my kids love candy. Hey, you're just doing some typological work with that candy, dude. <laughs> you know who the better sweetheart is? It's Jesus. That's right, dude. We Speaking of typology, dude, we need to do some resurrection cookies. <laughs> That's brilliant. I'm so glad we get to do a baptism because this is, as Christians, this is the way that we story the resurrection of Jesus. Yep. We are yep. we're identifying ourselves with Christ's life, with his death, and with his resurrection. So whenever we get to plunge Andrew Johnson into the water, we say, Hey, brother, just as you're going under the water, church just as Andrew's going under the water, he's descending into death. But not just to death, he's he's identifying and he's being hidden in Jesus' death, but he doesn't stay there. We get to Pull them out of that water. And this is Andrew identifying with Jesus's resurrection to walk in newness of life. Yeah. Like that Dude, is powerful. It's the same way that Moses passed through the Nile and then was exalted into royalty. Mm-hmm. The same way that the Israelites passed through the Red Sea and marched into the promised land. The same way that Joseph came out of the pit that he was thrown into and was exalted to royalty. The same way that Jonah was vomited out of the mouth of the fish back onto dry land. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, it's the same way that Jesus was resurrected. Yes. So sweet, dude. 
I think we're going to do more than one baptism, bro. I think so, too. I've got a feeling. I've got a feeling. I've got a feeling. Is there anything else you want to say about Easter, resurrection? You got it got it all off of your chest, or is there anything else you want to plug away at? I think I got it all out right now. Sweet. If I talk any longer, I'm just going to talk about something that's not related to the resurrection. Let's go eat some Jethro's, bro. Jethro. You down for Jethro still? Let's do it. Half off wings today? Half off wings, a Tuesday special. Church, we love you. Can't wait to say he is risen with you on Sunday. Um, But until then, we hope that this podcast helps you think deeply about the resurrection and also worship local.